we're in. And, and we're on. Hi, everyone. And uh, welcome to uh, One for One Presents. Old Mansion. Old Mansion. That's what it's called. That's the name of the podcast. My name is Teddy. Uh, my name is Connor. And we are here to record our first ever um, Old Mansion podcast. Hopefully and, the first of many. Yeah, and actually, I've got to say, at least it's my first ever podcast. Yeah, it's definitely my yeah, first I'm, I'm, podcast. I'm looking forward well. to... Uh, you know, getting better as time goes on. I feel like I feel like it only gets. Better Don't already now. start downselling. Don't be like, yeah, look, it's yeah. shit now, but it'll get better. What I, what I mean to say is, you you tuned in for what is quite possibly the greatest podcast ever committed to our. Uh, yeah, true. Nobody, yeah. we don't even know. I think one rule they say about podcasts as well: we should not talk at the same time, which I think is going to be hard. So that is going to be hard. Yeah, because I think that's just confusing if you're not actually in the room. So if I talk. Mm-hmm. And if you like, we'll just yeah, we'll mix. We'll it. take turns. <laughs> we'll take turns for the for the uh, courtesy of you at home listening. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, if you're on the train, or or, or in the car, you know, yeah. or you could be in a number of places, but you're listening, and we thank you for that. Yeah. So you don't listen to a lot of podcasts, do you? or you listen to a few movie podcasts and stuff. Yeah, I listen to Script Notes, yeah. um, which is, you know, <laughs> what is Script Notes. Script Notes is like a huge podcast <laughs> by uh, John August and Craig Mazin. And, uh, they're uh, they're both screenwriters. John August yeah. most famously wrote a movie called. Go, which is kind of yeah. like Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. Uh, it was filmed in the 90s. He also did Big Fish, yeah. Tim Burton film. Uh, Frank and Weenie, the film adaptation that came out recently. That was him. Um, so guys, just so you know, Connor is literally a walking, talking uh, Wikipedia. Or IMDb, you could say. Yeah, I- IMDb is probably... Uh, incredibly, incredibly encyclopedic knowledge. So hopefully you'll be enjoying... Uh, that as you listen to this a little bit more. Exactly. But what about you? Are you a um, are you a podcast man? Yeah, I do. I love all kinds of podcasts. So I'm a big uh, Mark Maron fan. Oh yeah, Mark Maron. <laughs> I love uh, I love WTF. I love Freakonomics. Yeah, I was going to say Freakonomics is a bit of a classic. It seems like you'd like it. Yeah, that's the first podcast I probably ever listened to. That's what you know. The first we're going to talk later about the first record we ever bought. First podcast I ever listened to. <laughs> first podcast I ever streamed. Um, definitely Freakonomics. And uh, what I've been really enjoying a lot is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's one called uh, Revisionist History. But enough plugs for other... More established shows. You know, like, if anybody here is in need of a plug, it's probably us. Um, exactly. We should, yeah. Probably the worst thing you can do when you start off a new podcast is talk about other good and better, more established podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, how are we going to beat Mark Maron, you know? We've already set the template, yeah, you know, where... Yeah, but his podcast just started with him talking about how shit his life was, you know? Oh man, I can do that. <laughs> you, you, you want to hear about how shit my life is, guys? Then you know, drop me a line. I'm down for that. That's your other podcast. That's just <laughs> kind of talk shit. Um, anyway. One for one presents. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, let, why don't we get? Let's introduce ourselves and then we talk about what we want. Yeah, let's well, talk about what we want the podcast to be first. Yeah. Well, well, I think like for me, I just want this podcast to be like a. A good discussion about music. I mean, yeah. I know that I spend a lot of my time thinking mm-hmm. about music and engaging yeah. with music, and those of you who, who know me even a little bit well will know that I really, uh, you know, I review albums that come out, new albums, old albums, things I haven't listened to yet. Um, I write articles. More, most recently, I wrote an article about Kanye West's graduation, which turned 10 years old. Um, that was a really good article. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. What's well, no, so what we wanted this podcast to be yeah. was a discussion of, you know, some old music, some new music. Connor and I are very passionate about music and we find that like we love having conversations about it and we thought we'd put it out there. Um, really keen to get your thoughts, anything you might be thinking about, uh, you know, the latest and greatest music around. Exactly. Likewise, I think we have 
uh, complimentary taste. So we're going to get some old stuff. We're going to talk about some new stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about stuff we like. And if you don't like the stuff we like, we'll probably talk about stuff we don't like as well. We've got a lot of this stuff planned about stuff we don't like. Oh, man. Sure. Yeah. Oh, there is no shortage of things that I do not like. <laughs> Let's launch into it. So I'm Teddy. I am a... I've been playing drums for as, as long as I can remember. I've been a big time music fan. Like, you know, music's always been a part of everything I've been doing. So I play in a couple bands... Uh, around Melbourne, so I play with my brother, Harry Hookie. Um, my other brother's got a band, um, Small Town Alien. That's not one for the, for the faint of heart. That's, that's an interesting one. And I play in another project that I'm, uh, I'm setting up called Mr. Savage. Um, so hopefully I'll get the chance to talk about these things on this podcast. And if you're interested, you'll give them a listen. Um, in terms of what music I'm into, like literally pretty much anything. I think when you play like drums and percussion... You sort of just get involved in anything. So I'm like into like, you know, the classical stuff from ages ago, from the really early 20th century, like beginnings of jazz all the way through to, um, you know, pop music nowadays. So I'm a big fan of everything. Um, yeah, big into like jazz and rock. That They'd probably be the, the two things that I'm all over. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm Connor. I'm a, I'm a, what could generously be described as a hip hop head. I um. I bought Kanye West's Graduation when I was quite a bit younger. It was the first record I ever bought with my own money. And ever since then, it's kind of been a... It was a very slow progression into really loving music and really enjoying writing about it, which has led me to write for Genius, um, articles, annotations. Uh, I also write my own articles. Uh, The most recent one I've written was a long read about the making of Kanye West's graduation, which was a a very nice way to cap out the the origins of my music love. But uh, yeah, I'm constantly writing about albums. I run a page on which I review new albums, review old albums, things I haven't listened to yet. I'm currently weighing up the albums that have come out this year to try and decide what my favourite offerings were, what my favourite tracks were, what my favourite EPs and mixtapes were, and what my favourite albums were. Um, So I spend a lot of time thinking about music as far as what I'm into goes. I'm very big on pop music, uh, specifically like Charlie XCX. Yeah. That kind of of really hyper-pop stuff. Also into, uh, you know, the Daft Punk and Justice and Breakbot kind of stuff. Uh, I like my French house. (laughs) I like my my Phoenix. So View Memoir, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My seat. And uh, I think the biggest genre, like my main love, is probably hip hop. Yeah. Um, no specific period. I mean, I've listened to quite a bit of '90s stuff. I think I'm very much in the present at the moment. I'm a very big Kanye West fan. He's my background on my phone. <laughs> um, I have pieces of art in my room dedicated to him. He is. Um, he's a big inspiration, and I really enjoy uh, his art and art by other like-minded artists who you know speak their mind in a similar way. So I was actually going to ask Connor, why do you write about music? <laughs> That's, that is it's, a, kind of, it's a deep question, I suppose. Yeah. It's like, why do you do what you do so passionately? Um, but I've never, I just, I've been really interested. I've never understood like why you, like, you're so passionate about it. That's a good question. That's actually something that I have thought about recently. I've thought to myself... I, I've thought to myself... I'm Are like, you going through an existential crisis <laughs> or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sit in my room and it's dark and I just like brood over why I write articles about music. But it's an interesting thing to do because, you know, like... I think that writing music 
is, and I'm sure you can attest to this, writing music is a creative endeavor. Yeah. And it's about like, you know, bearing your soul or presenting a reality or, you know, like eliciting an emotion from an audience. Yeah. But then writing about music is almost like a secondhand commentary on that, you know, because I consider, I consider the things that I do, my writing to be creative, you know, like in my criticism of music and in the articles that I write about music and about albums that I enjoy. Yeah. But yeah, it is kind of strange that, would, I, that I do think of it as kind of like, you know, almost a meta-commentary, a meta-creative pursuit, you know? <laughs> would you call yourself a critic, though? Um, I don't assign number ratings to anything that I, to anything oh that I God. rate. That's one Ma- of the nerdiest things I've ever heard, but it makes sense. I get it, yeah, I get it. mainly because I just like discussing it. I like talking about the music. Yeah, because your writings are much more about, like, the story of the album and, like, what was going on. Yeah, the story of the album. Much more like a writer than saying, oh, don't listen to this, it's shit, or this is, like, mm. a 7 out of 10 album. Yeah, exactly. I feel like numbers, I, I do, and this sounds really wanky, but I do feel like numbers are restrictive in that regard. Like, I feel like I don't have a 1 to 10 that I can rank albums on accurately. Well, and... so, like, that's what I fundamentally, like, don't understand about critics and stuff is that you mm. say oh this is a 7 out of 10 album or this is like an 8 out of 10 album like you try and create some sort of objective comparison but it just can't like you can't do that oh yeah you can't absolutely. do it with any kind of art and for some reason movies and music always get like the oh, stars thing you don't see people doing it with like paint, paintings you don't say this is a 3 out of 5 star effort by exactly Monet Man, that is harsh. Monet, Monet is, as far as I understand, a pretty good guy. Three out of five is a harsh score. Yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, that's why when I when I do review music, I usually try and pick my favorite tracks off an album. I have usually a number of favorite tracks, even on an album that I don't like. I try and find like the track that I like the most. Yeah. Because I think that's a way more useful way of gauging whether or not you like an album. Is I'll give you a track that I think is like the best or the most representative. Yeah. And then if you listen to that and you like it, then that album might be for you. You know. Yeah. Better than better than like. Six out of ten, because that tells me absolutely fuck all. It really does. Yeah. Like, what is six out of ten? But I mean, people sometimes explain it, but like, I don't know. Yeah. I really just don't get critics. Like, I really don't understand how critics justify their existence. Exactly. Well, the good thing <laughs> is their that... their craft. The good thing is that we're not here to be critics. We're yeah, so like... guys, absolute disclaimer, we are not here to be critics. We're not here to be like, oh, these are the latest sounds coming out of the um, fucking, you know this studio or whatever we're not here to say oh Ed Sheeran's latest album not as good as his previous work or we give it 4 out of 10 so this is not a music rating podcast it's just discussing stuff exactly just discussing stuff exactly I'm looking forward to that so we're based out of Melbourne and this is a pretty apparently it's one of the best live music cities in the world yeah I actually um, for the first time in ages I went and saw a show last night for yeah. um, an act called Ariella Jacobs. Yeah, how was it? Was, um, it was really good. It was just yeah. like it was piano ballads, you know. That's sick. Um, yeah, piano ballads are great. Like it was, it was sad. It was like it definitely got me in a mood. Yeah. Um, but that was the intended effect, you know. I yeah. didn't go into like a power pop session and come out feeling sad because that would mean that they hadn't done well. But no, I um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great night. Yeah. Um, it was an EP launch, so really, yeah. Ariella Jacobs. Ariella Jacobs, cool. a friend nice. of a friend of a friend. So I went along. Nice. I um the last show I saw we played a gig last Saturday night. Uh, I played a gig with this small town alien, um, and we supported this band called the Hillbilly Goats. And I know what you're thinking, like the Hillbilly Goats, uh, like sounding like this old school kind of bluegrass band, and they are precisely that. They're this old school bluegrass band, like a drummer, a bass player, and a fiddle player, right? And the drummer is playing banjo at the same time, sort of like it's really weird. But they have a goat on stage. And they have the, like, for like a bluegrass band, which you think of these really, like, you know, chilled out, whatever guys. 
They were the most like on the money. Like they had their shit together. They had a van that had the bill- hillbilly goats on the side. They had all this crazy merch. They had full on stuffed goats on stage, and they sang this like really old school Americana, like you know, like jug band kind of music. So I was expecting when we were, I heard we were supporting them. I was like, who the hell are these guys? They're gonna be like. Um, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, like, like, Kid Rock support band. Yeah, exactly. But, but uh, last thing what? <laughs> no, because we're not going to, we're not going to be those guys here. We're not going to shit on Kid Rock. It's way too easy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I actually really, I really dug this sound. Like, it's cool. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting. That was, that was the show I went to on Saturday night. Yeah, the Hillbilly Guts. Nice. Okay. Check them out if you like that old school Americana style. Clearly, some people do. These guys, you know, with all the merch and the goats and the bands and whatnot, <laughs> obviously they have fans. Yeah. Obviously, they're doing yeah, well. They're making it in. Dude, the weirdest bands have heaps of fans as yeah. well. Have you heard of, um, oh, what's that? Is it Gogol Taranta? It's like a New York based huh? gypsy rock band. I'll show them to you later. You would like them. You would like them a lot. Like, really weird, like, punk rock gypsy Eastern European sound. But they're from they're from downtown Manhattan. Oh fuck, that's such a New York thing. It, it is. It is such so a New York thing. Like, cool. but, uh, but I thought uh, I think they're Gogol Bordella. But I yeah. think they I thought that they were Eastern European yeah. until like maybe oh two months ago, and I yeah. looked it up and I was like, holy shit, these guys are just putting it on like really well, <laughs> like, really so, well. I bet everyone in Eastern Europe is really pissed off. Trivic. But no one <laughs> gets this. A Here is a fact for you. Here is a yeah. fact for you that yeah. I think will impress you. Um, Creedence Clearwater. Oh no, wait. Yeah, Creedence Clearwater. Yeah. Where, where were they from? Uh, Orange County. Yeah. John Foggy's from Orange County. I know. Yeah. Sounds like fucking the deepest, most New Orleans, like... Yeah. Real... They write songs about Born on the Bayou. Yeah. And like... Run through the jungle. Yeah, run through the jungle. It's so like... It's so like Vietnam War music, isn't it? Yeah. But they're all from Orange County. He, like, John Fogarty is like the most progressive... Such, yeah. Guy. Such a strange band because they had like that fan base that was very, you know, like, yeah, America, right, right wing, you know, like white middle American yeah. and then they did songs like uh, Senator's oh, um, it ain't me I Senator's Fortunate Son. One Fortunate Son yeah Fortunate Son yeah that's right and Fortunate Son is like you know a direct Fortunate One yeah Fortunate One is, is a direct Fortunate One yeah Fortunate One is a direct fuck you to like the it people that listen to them it ain't me really I thought it was a fuck you to the people they grew up around I think yeah I think it's a fuck you to the whole some people born uh, red, white, yeah. and blue. But, but, but <laughs> yeah, it is actually a fuck you, isn't it? It's an incredible wow. anti-Vietnam song by a band that would have support for Vietnam. And all their songs are used in Vietnam War movies. And like Die Hard. Dude, it's like Born in the USA. <laughs> yeah. another, another classic song that does, is not what people think it is. And that was used by Reagan, wasn't it? Yeah. Fuck, man. That's interesting. Who else... Um, didn't Trump use somebody's uh, Trump music? used a bunch of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Because you can't always get what you want. Yeah, which, is, which, is, which may I say is hilarious. Like I, I doubt it was intended to be, but it is fucking hilarious. I wonder how those. Do you imagine what music Donald Trump must listen to? I wonder what he's into. Yeah, I wonder. What, I think he's the kind of person, and I know people like this. Um, that would be like, you know, I don't listen to music. I'm doing more important stuff. I think the kind of person yeah, that would be man. like, I was out like making dollars. I didn't, never sat down and listened <laughs> to music. You know, there was this party. Um, probably likes Billy Joel. You know. Oh yeah. Probably, I reckon. Billy Joel. Not, not the Billy Tom Petty. He likes Tom Petty. Yes. Not the no Billy Joel. Not the Billy Joel's a bad guy. It's like David Cameron likes the Smiths, but the Smiths hate David Cameron. They like they, David they Cameron fucking... like the Smiths. The yeah, Morrissey. Yeah, Morrissey. He was like, I really like the Smiths, and then one of the members of the Smiths was like, you're not allowed. Like, you are not allowed to like the Smiths. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is such a Smiths thing to do, you know? Like that is such a fucking Morrissey. Yeah, exactly. Act, yeah. I'm a sad guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, what do you think of um, Eminem doing that shit about saying, hey, if you're a supporter of Trump and a yeah. supporter of me, I don't want you as my fans? I have a lot of thoughts about this because, okay. uh, I mean, I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups. Uh, <laughs> well, one that I really like is called Rap Talk. That's kind of a very funny place. Rap Talk. Rap Talk, yeah. Rap Talk is great. I'm a big fan of Rap Talk. How do you talk. get in these Facebook groups? Uh, I think Minty added me to Rap Talk, but I don't know how he found it. Um, yeah, I think it all started when I was Minty's in a... really... Inter- this is our friend Minty. Hey, Minty, if you're listening. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you are. Uh, I, I doubt you've made it this far. You've probably given up. You're probably like, fuck, I hate this You know already. what? When we see Minty next, we'll be like, hey, what do you think of the podcast? And we will test him, see if he's listening this far. We're about 12 minutes in, I reckon. Yeah, so. I reckon about 12 minutes. At the 12-minute mark, Minty gets a specific call out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but this, this M&M thing is really interesting because... Yeah. Like, as much as I think the freestyle itself was actually... Mm-hmm. It was pretty poor. Like... It, Wait, was, so it was all freestyle. Well, it wasn't It wasn't freestyle, but it was a cypher. It was a cypher. So it was oh, effectively like... Cypher is when you have, like, a collection of rappers on a single beat or on a single song. And they all spit a verse. So it's not like hook verse, hook oh, verse. Like, it's like yeah, verse, like verse, 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 verse. Bitch, please. Not, not Eminem songs, but like, it's kind of like when you have... Um, I, don't, I actually don't know enough Eminem songs. I'm oh, like, that's, uh, that's... Bitch Please has got like... Snoop Dogg, it's got like Exhibit, it's got Dre. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's kind of like a posse cut, but there are like subtle yeah. differences. Um, I what, have, what's a posse cut? A posse cut is when you have like a group of rappers on a <laughs> this track. This is rap talk. Yeah, this is rap talk. You see, this, <laughs> is, this is rap talk that right could, here. That could be a podcast. Just translating rap talk to white people. Be like, yeah. this is what a posse cut is. A posse cut is when a rapper's supporting group. And yeah. I, AKA his posse. <laughs> Join him in a verse. No, oh, people would love that. But yeah, the thing, the thing about it is that yeah. when, um, when he delivered that and I thought that it was actually like pretty undercooked. I didn't like the fact that it had no beat. I thought the fact that there was no beat behind it did no favours for Eminem. Yeah. Who has really not done much that I think is great in a very long time. I thought he had a verse earlier this year on yeah. Big Sean's No Favours. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm not a Big Sean fan, admittedly. I think he's no, kind of a cheesy rapper. I just don't actually hate Big Sean, but like, yeah, I'm yeah. not a fan of it. Th- I think he's a cheesy rapper. I think Kanye has a bit of misplaced faith in yeah. Big Sean. But like... Eminem's verse was just another one of these really violent multis strung together, you yeah. know? It was, it was very much like a very derivative, like, oh, Eminem comes in and says a lot of crass, offensive stuff. Yeah. And that seems to be what, like, Eminem fans want. But it's not really... He really hasn't progressed as an artist. And I think as a rapper, Eminem is great. Yes, as an artist, it's, he's not. It's interesting, because I heard a verse I hadn't heard uh, before. It was Eminem, he has a verse on this pink song, Revenge. And again, it's like violent, but it's all about like a really bad breakup. And so Pink starts singing about, she does like a rap verse as well. She talks about how, you know, the person who broke up with her, how she's mm. like, hates him or her or whatever. Is Pink a lesbian? No, Pink is straight. Yeah? Yeah, Pink has a kid. I'm pretty sure. But that is a good question. That is a good question, actually. Pink is very, um, very <laughs> radical with her look, you know? Uh, well, anyway, yeah. So Pink's talking about how she's going to kill this person that broke up with her or just, like, you know, ruin their lives. And then Eminem comes off the final verse and, yeah, talks about how... He has some cool, like, says some, like, cool stuff, but, yeah. Very violent, very crass, how he's going to, you know, get to the person that um, cheated on him. And it's that it's like, I feel like, you know, it's Eminem again talking about that sort of stuff. Like, you know, he's coming back Again, with that very violent imagery. But one thing is that, like, you know, Eminem's first album was about how he came from, like, nothing and was shitty, right? Mm. And, you know, he came, it was, like, white trash, dissed himself, and he had this real rage, and that took off. And then, you know, he had, again, all this violent stuff with his mum, how, you know, he had that Haley song. Um, and then, his next album is, like, 
genius because he's talking about how he's now become this cultural icon and how that pisses him off. Mm. Like how so many people care about him now and are being so fake to him now that he's like won all these mad awards and gained all this notoriety and success. And so he had those two things um, going for him at the start. And then I feel like after a while, he's kind of gotten successful and rich. He's like 40 now. And he's just got not a lot to be pissed off at now when most of his rap and art is about him getting really pissed off. Yeah, it's, it's, it suffers because it is so autobiographical in a way. Yeah. I, th- I think it suffers from the fact that he doesn't have that material coming at him anymore. He's very comfortable. Yeah. But I mean, the thing about... Fucking and, great rapper, though. Great. Yeah, like technically I think he is a great rapper, but I just think he has never switched his style up enough to be really that interesting to me. Or at least switched it up in a way that I've enjoyed. Like when, yeah. when he's gone into Not Afraid and stuff and he's started collaborating with Pink more often, yeah. it's very much, you know, mum rock, dad rock kind of like rap. Yeah. And that's the thing about this... Mum rock, about dad this, rock, this, rap. Yeah. That, well, it's, you know, Pink is very much like mum pop. She's yeah. like... You know, she's kind of like. Yeah, I know a lot of mums that like pink, but she's like a very mature pop star because she doesn't do things that are offensive. You know, she like she dresses like ah. like a pop star, but she doesn't dress like Ariana Grande, who mums would say is too risque, or she doesn't do things that are actually wow. challenging to the system. She's so a very pink, safe bet. Pink is mum pop. If you were to ask me, I would say that pink is mum pop. But because my mum likes pink, yeah, my mum likes pink. Of course she does. She's a mum. I know a lot of mums that like pink. Yeah, wow. it's funny when you really think about it, like. Pink's album, new album, just went platinum. Really? And, yeah, I know, right? Because mums buy albums still. Yeah, yeah because, <laughs> because mums buy albums still. You heard it here first. The other mums, th- mums are keeping Pink afloat. As soon as there are no more mums, the economy for Pink is going to crash, you know? There's gonna be, <laughs> like, that's the end of it. That's the end and of the see, career. See, you know what I think about? Someone like Pink as well. Ariana Grande, I can't I really just, imagine her. Oh, sorry, go on. No, one, I just want to talk about this Trump thing for a second. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we, we, we never finished that, that thought. The thought about yeah. it is that, like, there was this. There was this. Uh, I think it was Eric, someone. This. Uh, yeah. This American news reporter. Yeah. Who tweeted just after it came out, and he said, um, "He said, you know, after 28 years of doubts, I am officially a fan of rap now because this is the smartest political writing that I've heard all year." And that Whoa. was that was a wildly lamp a widely lampooned at least in my circles a really lampooned tweet because it was very much like the the white response to. This Eminem freestyle, which was like, look at Eminem, he's going against um, Trump, and that's like revolutionary. Whereas the reason that I think it's good is because Eminem is the only rapper that has the fan base that would actually be affected by a call of like, if you like me and Donald Trump, then I don't want you to like me. Because he actually has that crossover. But for instance, if you look at someone like, I don't know, 2 Chains or like Kanye West, how many people like Kanye West and like Donald Trump? I think Kanye, he supported Hillary as well, didn't he? He, he supported... Well, he met with Trump. Really? During, during the campaign to talk about racial matters. But, I mean, My Beautiful Duchess of Fantasy, 2010. One of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. Yeah. He, he, or he calls out Donald Trump on, like, the second song. Does he? Yeah. He talks about Donald Trump. He talks about, um... <laughs> like, and that's the thing that I hate about it. The thing that I hate about it is that all these things that he's saying... Um... All of these things that, like, Eminem is saying, these political raps, yeah. are nowhere near as good as the ones that have come before him that have just been largely maligned by white audiences. Like, you know, Penitentiary Chances, The Devil yeah. Dances, all of these really intensely deep, like, pithy political raps that make... that, you know, make up some of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. Yeah. Just swept under the rug because there, there really is this black-white divide and Eminem has managed to, like, solidify himself as the most successful rapper ever by appealing to a massive non-black market. Whoa. But do you reckon, uh, surely in Eminem's mind, it's not, like, the same thing we were talking about with Pink before. I don't think these artists are actually positioning themselves. 
Oh, no. saying I'm positioning myself to like a white market or pink's like I'm going after the mums that still buy albums. Yeah. If, if they are, they're marketing geniuses. Like they are, they are yeah. marketing geniuses. But I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's like that, but I think it's just that they're, um, their creative choices just pivot them in that direction. You know, they like, they end up making more, they end up making family friendly things. And this whole, like, oh, look at him come out and go at Trump is kind of like, yeah, but there are so many political rappers out there who are doing the same thing, but better. Like, for instance, look at, say, um, when, we, when you were talking about Eminem's two albums, it reminded yeah. me of a, of a string of two albums that I think are perhaps among the most exceptional ever. Yeah. Which is Good Kid, Mad City. Good Kid, Mad City, Into yeah. Into Butterfly. Because yeah. Good Kid, Mad City is, of course, a narrative about Kendrick... Good Kid in a Mad City. Exactly. <laughs> a good kid in a mad city. And, and the idea that, like, he loves his town, he loves Compton, but... Yeah. Does Compton love him, and does he love himself? Yeah. And then that idea being expressed through him descending into gangbanging, and then realizing the the, the chaos inherent in gangbanging, and thinking like <laughs> very, uh, very yeah. sudden transition as well. It is. It, <laughs> it's is, a, not it is subtle like, at all. Yeah, it is a very sudden transition. He's like he needs to get out, and yeah. he needs like he needs to make himself into this artist, you know, because. Like, for instance, on the song Backseat Freestyle, yeah. he's presented as a kid who doesn't have, like, technical rap chops yet, yeah. but he still has, like, potential. Yeah. And so, like, you see him have that potential, and it's like, I've got to get out of here. People are dying. And yeah. the story is about how Kendrick saw one of his friends die. And then at the end of that album, it's, you know, it's, it's followed up with Chippepa Butterfly, which is about the music industry pimping out Kendrick. Yeah. It's about, like, you know, it has, like... He's institutionalized in the That's that whole story, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like he's he's trapped in the projects, he's trapped in the ghetto, even though he is this um, gaining like you know popular success. Yeah, and no amongst success, that, like the yeah. hate that that, that, that the self loathing that he gets from that, you know, yeah. like he's abandoned the community and the people that he formerly hung out with, yeah. because you know now he's like he's getting that success, he's becoming more famous and more disconnected. It's funny, there's this um, there's this really good interview with Tupac that I saw, like in the 90s early 90s after he's gained a little bit of success and he says he's made like a couple million dollars and he's like you know uh, there are no kind of rich black people like in America there are nobody I can hang around right because if I go back home and hang with the people I grew up with it's like they'll come over and they'll try and rob me is what he, he actually says that he's like they'll come and they'll try and rob me and he's like but I'm not as rich as someone like the super rich and the people that have really met it's like there are no kind of wealthy people yeah it's not like upper like me class, you're right. like, there's yeah. no like upper middle class like just like black people like me so I can't hang with anybody yeah and I'm like holy crap like, that's intense that is intense yeah because you're either Quincy Jones or you're no one you know you're, you're, there are only like yeah. two, two tiers of it's bizarre and it's uh, just an interesting way of putting it that I never would have um, considered before ever that's interesting yeah bizarre Album of the week. Album okay. of the week. This is our opportunity to discuss album we've been into, uh, the story behind the album, what we know about the album. Um, we want to share a few things, talk about it, and then um, you know, lead into a bit of discussion. Hopefully, give you guys uh, a bit of a listen, a bit of an insight. Uh, Connor, why don't we start with you? You're definitely going to have the more thorough analysis. You okay? Well, I wanted to start with an EP. I just, I was going to. Oh, I was originally. Doesn't it actually technically abide by the album rules? Well, I was album originally, I was originally going to talk about an older album yeah. uh, called "Live from the Dentist Office." Yeah. Which is actually uh, 
quite a coincidence. Yeah. But um, a line from the dentist office <laughs> why, is... Um, why is that a coincidence? Because we nearly recorded this at a dentist office. Oh, yeah, true, live, true. Live at the dentist office. Did you have that joke pre- pre-written? I did like, not. I can't divert from this. I have, <laughs> to I, have, I have to make the joke, despite the fact that our schedule has changed. But, um, yeah, nice. But no, I um, live from the dentist office I was going to talk about. It's yeah. Injury Reserve. It's like a jazz rap album from yeah. Arizona. But I actually decided to talk about uh, an EP that came out uh, last month yep. by an artist called Sid. And, uh, and a lot of people will know Sid from her time in yeah. Odd Future. A lot of people will know Sid from her time in the internet, which the band that she is the lead singer for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the internet is probably pound for pound, like, the most talented group of musicians who are working yeah, at the moment. You love the internet, don't you? Yeah, I just think, like, the internet, there's been a number of solo releases from people in the internet this year. Yeah. Um, I've listened to most of them. I think I've listened to Matt Martian's album, which yep. was good. Steve Lacey's album, which I still think was the best out of mm-hmm. the three albums that were released. And Sid's album, which I did not like. I didn't like Sid's album. Um, mm-hmm. It got... A lot of praise. Yeah. But I didn't really enjoy it that And much. so they all... Can you talk about the internet a little bit? Because I don't know yeah. anything about them. <laughs> so, so the internet is um, the internet is a funk group yeah. from a... Or like a, you know, funk soul group from yeah. um, Ladera Heights in, yeah. in California. And Matt Martians and Sid, two of the founding members, were also in Odd Future. Yeah. Um, Odd Future is a collective that a lot of people will know... For members such as Frank Ocean and Tyler the Creator, uh, Earl Sweatshirt as well. Some more, some people who are more into the hip hop side of things might be fans of Domo Genesis. Yeah. Um, but Earl yeah. Sweatshirt's good. Pardon? Earl Sweatshirt's good. Earl Sweatshirt is very good. I was listening to him this morning. The internet kind of when they recorded their first album, and on the way to recording the second album, they picked up a guitarist whose name is uh, Steve Lacey, who I really think is one of the like up and coming stars of the music industry. He's um produced song he produced one song this year for Kendrick Lamar Hive. on Dan Hive but I'll switch it Hive, Hive yes Hive Hive is on he produced a song on Dan and it was recorded on his phone originally he recorded yeah it on I his heard phone that actually yeah that's yes. so cool Steve and he also appears dude iPhones have amazing compressors in them yeah I record a lot of stuff and like me when I'm jamming with the guys or whatever we record a lot of stuff and you play it just over phone speakers and some of it sounds sick like their compressors yeah. sound really well yeah, it's you really get the, and you put it in the right position, and you get the levels right. Like, yeah, you can literally record an album on an iPhone. Oh yeah, I have no doubt. Exactly, so easy. But um, he also appeared on Tyler the Creator's yep. most recent album, which was really good. Uh, on a song that also had Frank Ocean, he like I think he probably outshone uh, out outshone outshone yeah. Frank Ocean on that track. Um, and he's a great addition to the band. He's a really interesting guy. Yeah, I really enjoy his work. And anyway, so Sid released an album this year that I didn't like. But she followed it up with an EP seven months later. Yeah. Um, three songs long, which is to its merit. When yeah. the album came out, I said, this album is overly long. It's yeah. very repetitive. And yeah. I think it would be better. It would work better as an EP. Yeah. Like it, it, it's a great EP, but it's kind of like a mediocre album. Yeah. And then as if I was some kind of prescient, you know, music yeah. force, she released a three-track album that just contained three tracks that were, like, better than anything. Wow, like, nice. The album. That's cool. Yeah, so I thought that that was, um... I, I thought that it was it was a really great album. It has production from, um... from Kintaro Bruner, mm-hmm. or Jamil Bruner, who goes by Kintaro. Yeah. Uh, he is the younger brother of Thundercat. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yes. Cool. Kintaro, which is, uh, very cool. Um, it's... It's just good. I mean, like, Sid only ever really does one thing, I think, and that's, like, she sings about sex. 
Yeah. It's always like a. It's always like you know. It's like sex that you shouldn't be having, or it's yeah. like hot sex. Or heaps people but, have it though. Heaps yeah, like but it. but she. But like when you listen to these solo well. projects, you notice how little sex there is on other projects, yeah. and how sex fueled her project is. Like I feel like when you go to the cool. internet, you can when you look at the internet and you look at the solo projects, you can really see who brings what. Oh, that's cool. Project, yeah, but Sid brings the sexual content. It's cool that they, you listen intensely to, yeah, to each individual player, mm. and you can get a vibe for what they like individually. And then yeah. when they come together, you can hear those influences. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, but but the really lewd sex stuff—that's Sid's thing. But I think like as far as he has tried it on a solo record that I didn't think was great, yeah. the new EP really nails it. It's yeah. really um, you know, like there's three songs. One has a really nice beat change in the middle. It yeah, splits cool. up into two parts. Nice. It's uh, the third song, the one produced by Kintaro, uses yeah. uh, voice changing to pitch her voice down, yeah. which I like. I'm really into voice changing this year. Yeah, you do um, like it a lot, don't you? Yeah, my, my, one of my favourite songs of the year at the moment um, is actually pitched up quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I really like that. It's uh, It makes for a really interesting listen. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's my album of the week at the moment, or the album... Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I highly recommend everyone check it out. And what we're going to do at the end of this podcast is that you'll see it in the notes underneath the podcast. We're going to have a link to a Spotify playlist. So you mm. search One Foot One Presents Old Mansion, and uh, you'll be able to see like a playlist we've got curated for you this week. We'll have a new one every single week. The stuff we've been listening to. Let us know. <laughs> um, how should they let us know? Got. Uh, just just uh, send us a message. You'll find, you'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, you'll we'll, find a way. We'll figure it out and we'll put it beneath the podcast, you know? like uh, Nice. We're still sorting it out, you know? This, we're new to this. So, so what's your album of the week, Ted? Tell us about it. The album that I have not stopped listening to since I first heard it is by a band called Wolfpack. Um, that's Wolfpack with a V. So yeah. the jury's still out as to whether it's Wolfpack or Wolfpack. Um, it's funny. I've seen heaps of their videos and, you know, they do like Stephen Colbert and like, you know, that's Night Show, Jimmy Fallon and stuff. And each of them pronounced it a different way. Like, Stephen Colbert really doesn't know what to say. He's like, Wolfpack, when he says it. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Fallon is like, Wolfpack, so who the hell knows? Exactly. If I had to sign up with one of those people, I'd sign up with Colbert. Yeah, Just exactly. He, Just he's say. the guy who knows his shit, right? Yeah. So, I say Wolfpack. Um, these guys are absolutely insane. So, they're a group of like five or six guys who literally all live in a house together. Um... Uh, they came originally from Michigan. That's right. They went to the University of Michigan, which is where they all met. Basically, they're freaks at their instrument. Like, absolute mental individual players. And they come together, and they're sort of trying to recreate the old live, like, funk rhythm section sound of, like, the 60s and the 70s. So it's, like, very kind of, obviously, really funky music. Always got, like, mad, mad, you know grooves and stuff but it's you know very repetitive each member sort of knows their own like place in the sort of whole scheme of things so like it's all very well laid and it's just some of the funkiest stuff to the point where I listen to it and go I cannot believe this is live players like they play so in time so in sync so insanely awesomely I actually cannot believe it's live players it sounds so looped it sounds just like a DJ set but, like, these guys just play it so well. Um, one... Uh, are, sorry, go on. Are they trained in... Are they, like, trained musicians, or...? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they're all, like, studied music professionally. So, okay, all, yeah. university, like, University of Michigan is really, um, a really popular uh, music school. And they just are freaks. And these guys... Like, so, you jump on their Facebook page. And I cannot encourage you enough to get on their Facebook page. Because they throw up some 
mad videos of them just playing. Um, they've also got this real. I think you really like their aesthetic. I know that's like the word of the the day recently. It is. It's I'm like, like, oh, what's this band's like aesthetic? Like their aesthetic is like they really just nailed it. They really it's, go for that seventies. It's like, very distinctive. I got to say, yeah. I, you showed me a video earlier today, yeah. and as soon as I saw it, I knew that I'd seen it before. Yeah, because it is a really distinctive look, and I yeah. like it. I like it a lot. And so, and the band is actually really interesting. They apparently um, funded a an admissions free tour off a silent album called Sleepify on um, Spotify. So the royalties from that actually funded their first ever admissions-free tour. Um, and they're just obviously guys that really dig the music. They've got this black singer that comes in occasionally, because some of the songs don't have lyrics, some of them do. And the guy uh, who sings, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bootsy Collins, I think. Oh no, what's his name? Uh, hold on a second. I'll get on to this guy's. Yeah, Antoine Stanley, that's right. Antoine Stanley is a freaking freak singer. Like, really cool guy. The lyrics don't really make a lot of sense. But man, the musicians are mad. Joe Dart on the bass. Holy shit. This guy is an absolute freak. One of the best players out there, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to throw one of these tracks in uh, to our playlist called Dean Town. Um, I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but man... Joe Dart on the Fender bass is absolutely nuts. Like, some of this stuff you hear, you go, how the hell does a guy play that stuff on bass? How, how do you move that fast? You Dude, know, it's, like, it's, it's just incredible. So, just the tunes, the levels of groove that these guys put out are incredible. Um, and so, I'm really just all about Wolfpack at the moment. I'm really... And so, which album are you this stuff? Oh, yeah, sorry. The album I've been listening to a lot is called Thrill of the Arts. Thrill of the Arts is a sick album. It's not their latest one. Thrill of the Arts came out in 2015. Um, one of the coolest album openings I've ever heard is Welcome to Wolf Records. It's like this just inter- instrumental song. First time you hear it, it just totally sets you up for the rest of this album. You're like, oh man, this is going to be cool. Um, again, just the rest of the song, is, the rest of the album is just really groovy stuff. Like it's great stuff that you can listen to when you're... Um, you know, just, you know, you're chilling out, you know, you're reading something, you're on your computer, whatever, you don't really want to think about it too much. You can chuck it on, listen to it. If you really want to get into a groove because you're walking somewhere and want to just get in a good mood, like, I'm just all about Wolfpack at the moment. Uh, the last track on this album, though, is really shit. Guided Smile Meditation. It's basically some guy playing with keyboard effects and talking about meditation. And, you know, if you really are interested, you just listen to the end because it gets really shit like really fast so as an album incredible last track dog shit so that is Wolfpack Thrill of the Arts it's like it's like a Thomas Jefferson's take on the Bible loved it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a big fan of Revelations you know wasn't what do you a big mean? fan he, he believed it shouldn't have been in the Bible is that what Thomas Jefferson said Thomas Jefferson's Bible did not have Revelations in it I we were having a conversation about this earlier this is one of the most interesting things I've heard in a long time this Super Bowl stuff so you were telling me that Justin Timberlake has been invited to come back and play the Super Bowl. Yes. And the last time JT was at the Super Bowl was that really mad controversy where Janet Jackson's tit came out. Yes. Also and that true. was the end of I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song. Yes. And that's when he pulled it off and her tit came out. That is, that is when it happened. And yeah. what's the... The viewing audience of the Super Bowl is like... It's like, it's like hundreds of millions of people, right? Yeah. Hundred millions of people saw Jackson. I don't know about two thousand and four, but at least nowadays, you know, like when you think about the amount of, do you reckon there are still videos of it? 
Not oh. from like a creepy porn perspective, but like... Yes, yeah, there would totally be videos. Or did they have it, their porn it, it is a watershed moment in American morality. Really, it is. Yeah, and didn't you say that Justin Timberlake coined the term wardrobe malfunction? He definitely because is. Because of that. Yep, he said wardrobe malfunction for the first time. Which, which amazes me. I always thought that was a very pervasive term that had always been around. Yeah, wow. It's actually... So, yeah, yeah the, okay. the, the thing about this that throws me is um, yeah. it destroyed Janet Jackson's career. Janet Jackson was releasing, you know, like acclaimed albums like The Velvet Rope and stuff yeah. in the 90s, like 1996. And then in 2004, when this happened, she was blacklisted. And not only so was... So it actually destroyed her career. Yeah, totally. And not only was she blacklisted, but here's his little, uh, little excerpt about the fallout that that incident actually caused. Yeah. Uh, the investigation into indecency by the Federal Communications Commission, which doled out a record-breaking $550,000 in fines. $550,000? Yep. Wait, JT and Janet Jackson were fined $550,000. I don't know who was fined exactly, but someone was. Probably the NFL, you'd imagine. Coincided with what New York Times columnist Frank Rich later called a wave of self-censorship on American television unrivaled since the McCarthy era. Jackson's music was effectively blacklisted by various broadcasters. Yeah. Pop stars' performances at sporting events were altered, if not cancelled altogether. Wow. Daytime soap operas toned down steamier storylines as producers were replaced and FCC commissioners called for a re-evaluation of their standards. Victoria's Secret shut down its annual fashion show, while 60 ABC affiliates refused to air Saving Private Ryan out of concern for its profanity. <laughs> in his what? 2006 what? book inspired by the performance The Decency Wars Frederick S. Lane would argue that the Super Bowl scandal was even responsible for the prominent discussions of moral values and media decency in the 2004 presidential election holy shit yeah one tip did all that yeah, exactly like is half a second of one half a second of a blurred tip yeah did that yeah, on man. American culture. Yep, it was it was a huge issue. Like they debated it in Congress. It was like it was <laughs> They debated the they debated the Janet Jackson's hit on yeah. in Congress. Yes. There was there was legitimately discussion in Congress about Janet Jackson's Janet Jackson's breast, believe it or not. Yeah, so is it is you have to say breast. Well, well it's better than tit, isn't it? Better than tit, but I think we say either. But um Literally. But no, the thing is, wow. the thing about that is that now that JT has been invited back, there's a lot of people who are kind of like, This isn't fair. Well, just honestly, before we get to that, yeah. saving Private Ryan for profanity. Yeah, what okay. The yeah. Like of all of sixty all, people of all the issues, of all the issues that you can take, sixty broadcasters, so sixty broadcasters <laughs> that wouldn't show it. Of all the things in Saving Private Ryan that you can take issue for, like you know, like above profanity, I put like really violent knifing scenes, like the scene where the guy gets shot through the um. Through the scope yeah. of his sniper rifle, yeah. like that's fucked up shit. Or the he, guts yeah. when the guy's guts and he's trying to put it back in. Yeah. yeah, the first fifteen minutes of that film is fucked, like on another level of fucked. But for a whole bunch of reasons that don't involve swearing, you know, like Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, there's no swearing in, and there's no sex in that, is there? No sex in that film. There is swearing, but like I don't think I ever picked up on the swearing because I was too busy being like, oh my god, this is the most confronting <laughs> You're more experience. Traumatized. Yeah, I'm more like, holy shit, how do I keep up with this? This is like, <laughs> this is really doing things to me. But so really, it was just like there would be so much self censorship after that tip came yes. out. It was it was a watershed moment apparently, and um, and that's the first ever wardrobe malfunction. That's the 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 term was coined by JT. After that happened, he coined the term wardrobe malfunction, and it is pervasive now. Yeah, it is in our culture everywhere, and it all comes from that moment, which I think speaks for how big a moment it was. It's a good point that you make about. Um, I think you when you were mentioning this before. You were saying that 
uh, if this happened in some European country, even in Australia, I feel like we'd go, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we'd make jokes about it, probably. Yeah. I mean, we'd, we'd be a bit more lax. I think that, like... I don't I'll, really care. I think, I think on the scale Has of Has a lax, nipple ever slipped out on Australian... T- I'm going to look that up right now. I, Australian... I have Australian... I think that JT really falls into that vibe of, like, a really big pop star, and he's a great choice. Yeah. You know? Future Sex Love Sound. It's like, what... 10 years old this year, maybe 11, 10 years old next year. One of the most influential, great pop albums of the century. And, um, yeah, he's a great choice. But the thing is, by inviting him back, people, people worry that it's, you know, condoning his actions and forgiving him where he got out of that scot-free. Really? You know? well, well, yeah, he didn't really suffer anything. Well, I mean, did he? that was before Future Sex Love Sounds. That was before his acting career. That was before all of that, you know? He, he, I believe it was 2004. Yeah. He really just, like... He didn't even, like... It was a hiccup. He just kept going. But Janet Jackson's career has never recovered from that. She has... Yeah, and so, so the argument being that, you know, like, he owes it to Janet Jackson to invite her, or it's insensitive that he has been forgiven by, you know, the public for this incident, whilst she still lives in a shadow every day. Which I think is a really fair point. I think that, you know, Janet Jackson is undervalued as a a real trailblazer in music. A real, like, creative juggernaut. You know? Wow, there was a nipple slip on the 7pm project. <laughs> it's a good thing no one watches it. <laughs> Zing! Wow, that's the, that's the most popular nipple slip on Australian TV, though. Yeah. And we haven't even heard about it. Yeah, exactly. That's okay, no one cares. Yeah, no, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> no one cares. But in but yeah. 2004, in the US, it, like, altered the, the presidential election. Yes. Or oh, it altered the, the talking points surrounding that election. And need I remind you that Janet Jackson, like, Janet Jackson was so influential when she was a musician that Michael Jackson copied her style for Dangerous. He, yeah. he, he, he approached her producers and said, I want to do an album that is made up of New Jack Swing music, which is a very specific... New Jack Swing, yeah. yeah. New Jack Swing, you know, a really specific kind of hip-hop beat. Yeah. And they said, no, we won't do it. They said, well, we won't abandon Janet and work yeah. with you. So he went and got a 20... Someone who's about our age. A guy called um, Teddy Riley. Yeah. Yeah. Who is this guy, Teddy yeah, Riley. Teddy, Drummer, yeah? Yeah. And Teddy Riley was Hager. in, um, was in uh, a New Jack Swing group. Yeah. And he's, he's a brilliant musician. He... Yeah. Um, he Dangerous is my favorite Michael Jackson album, yeah. and Teddy Riley is like a big reason as to why that album sounds so awesome. But Janet Jackson was a very important figure in music, a very important figure in women's rights. She helped po- helped popularize um, cunning lingus. Really? Yes. No. Her way. and Missy Elliott. You know why? Because in music, Missy Elliott in music videos and stuff, yeah. when they when they simulated the um, the action yeah. of pushing a guy into their crotch, yeah. it was something that only guys had ever done to refer to women. And in doing that, they really opened up. Really? Yeah. So, so there is a noticeable change between, like, in the early 90s and in the late um, 2000s yeah. about the rate of people that actually engage in that. From where it's gone to being, like, <laughs> where it's gone from being, like, rare to being normal. And one of the reasons for that is that, pop, that like, strain of popular culture that was really, like, you know, radical. about cunning lingus. Yeah, and really radical. So she's like, a female po- hero. She's like a hero yeah. for fe- females everywhere. She's like a sex positive. And she's she's like one of the most important sex positive feminists in entertainment. You know? <laughs> she's like a big deal and she gets fucked over <laughs> because, because of that. She gets fucked over because and of Missy that. Missy Elliott as well. Missy Elliott, big deal, yeah. Oh, yeah, Missy Elliott. I was thinking Missy Higgins. I'm yeah, like, no. Whoa, I can't imagine Kevin <laughs> Lucas in her song. Yeah, wow, exactly. The line, <laughs> what is it? The, the Scar. Line, the line, the line, the line, yeah. Oh. Dude, that's really fascinating though. 
It is. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really cool intersection of, like, politics and social studies and music. Yeah, she's, well, I mean... She hasn't come back, has she? No, she hasn't really had a a resurgence since, you know. I mean, JT went on to release his best album. Yeah. And, you know, that went on uninterrupted. I mean, it it may, like, people would argue, perhaps, that Janet Jackson was creatively bankrupt at that point. But she never had been before. And I have no doubt that her music being blacklisted definitely impeded her... Wow. Her, you know, blossoming career. You know who else is like that? I was actually talking about this with somebody yesterday. Um, Bill Clinton has made a mad comeback after the Lewinsky affair. It's called yeah. the Lewinsky affair. Yeah. And Monica Lewinsky's life is just ruined. Like, she has like, she yeah. not be able to do anything. People hate her. People hate Monica Lewinsky. People love Bill Clinton. And, like, really? I think Bill Clinton has, like, a lot... He's a very complicated figure. Yeah. And, I mean, he's he has a lot of stuff that he did during his presidency that wasn't good and was good. Charlie like, Garner. Yeah, kind of guy, exactly. It's, he's one of those guys, like, it's like yeah. Jimmy Carter. He's better as not, he's better at not being a president. Like, Jimmy Carter is such a good former president. He's really good, isn't he? He's not a very good president. No. He's just a very good, like, as soon as he, he lost down, that, didn't he lose that election to Reagan? He's the guy who lost all 50 states to Reagan, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, because it was for, Gerald Ford versus three second term yeah. versus Jimmy Carter, yeah. which might be the most uninspiring. Like, <laughs> uh, imagine that election. Like, how fucking bored yeah. would you be? Do you think we had our elections with two old white guys? Yeah. Like that is like yeah, that is so boring. Guys, Every time I, like, the only thing I really think about Gerald Ford is that he's in that Simpsons episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, Do you like Damn. nachos? Do you, you like, like football? Not... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we watch the football, and it's <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mr. Ford. <laughs> Don't. But, um, but yeah, like. What what a boring pair up, but yeah, he got destroyed by Reagan. I mean, he was just—he was marketed on the fact that he was a very feeble peanut farmer, a very down-to-earth. Yeah, he was a peanut farmer. Wasn't yeah, he? a very down-to-earth dude came from Georgia. But yeah, yeah but so yeah. Monica Lewinsky, I looked her up. She's like done nothing. She was like a twenty-year-old intern at the White House. She must have been a genius. She must have been like, yeah, or really well connected. Yeah, yeah <laughs> she, she must have been. <laughs> There's a bad joke I could make. I'm oh, make oh, oh, um, but. Yeah, no, it's... Um, Too much, she needed a bit of Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is unfortunate. I think, like, yeah. well, we, we, may have, we may have gone a bit off topic and now we're talking about, like, rehabilitated personalities, but yeah, there are these consequences for, well, I guess in this case, for women that really are... And do, you think that's the thing? do you think that's a symptom of them being women, though? Yeah, I, I think it's yeah. a symptom. I think it's a symptom of the way that our culture, or like, or, an outcome or, 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 or like the American, you know, because we are a very American centric kind of culture. Yeah, even with our values a lot of the time because of the media that we import. But do you reckon Australia cared a lot? I don't, I don't think we really cared about Janet Jackson's tip coming out. No, I don't think so. But I think there's still that idea that like, we, we, we hold, we hold men and, and women bullshit midday. <laughs> yeah, shows. the morning show and all that. Yeah. They, but we hold. We do hold women and men to different standards when it comes to their sexuality. And I think that Janet yeah, Jackson suffers from being... You know, ultimately she was the victim in that. What's well, bizarre that... What I don't understand is that, you know, they, they want... Like, you know, they're totally fine to flaunt their sexuality, like hint at it, as you said. Like, mm. she's grinding on JT. She's wearing, yeah. you know, very low cleavage top. And very, you know, you know like quite revealing clothes. Um, and so it's like, it's creating... The, hinting at the idea of sexuality... But as soon as like a genuine wardrobe mishap happens, it's like things go nuts. It, it's, it's a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah. and it's a, it's like you can a, talk about fucking. You can pretend that you're fucking. You can. Yeah, and he then, literally pulls yeah. her. He thrusts against her. Yeah, exactly. And then and the crazy <laughs> the crazy thing is, it's not even like you can like allude to all this fucking, yeah. and then you can't actually fuck. Like, of course you can't fuck. But, <laughs> but, but you can allude to all of this sex, 
and then as soon as like a sexual organ like popped out, and it's not even it's not even in a, Dude, it's like not even in a sexual yeah. manner. Like if JT's it's dick just, came it's out, it's there. You know, yeah. if JT's dick came yeah. out, I'd be like, okay, fair enough, like fine. I'm even then, actually, I don't think I care that much. But I'd be like, I can understand why that would be confronting for a lot more people. But it's like a boob. It's a single boob. Yeah. That was half out anyway for like two seconds. Not even. It's like yeah. half a second. Exactly. The cameraman must have cut away. Five hundred and fifty thousand dollar second that was. Badass. That is, that is but, badass. but I mean, I, I think like you know, in a in a, in, but a, in, in, a in a perfect world that gets handled better, and in a perfect world that becomes kind of like people kind of evolve off that experience, and they're like, yeah, well, it happened, but it was okay, and now we're going to move forward, and it's progressive. But what actually happened was this massive, you know, as I said, uh, self censorship comparable to McCarthy, and her career was ruined. Well, so, but that's the other thing that I don't get, is that they must have, like, because JT purposely pulled it off, right? Yeah. So they must have had a, like, there must have been a cover well, on the nipple, right? That was the idea, that there was a cover on the nipple. As far as I understand, there was a cover on the nipple. But like a sticker on the nipple. Yeah, that kind of Just thing. on the nipple. Yeah. Which is So the enough. boob was going to come out anyway. Yeah. But it's literally her nipple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I know, right? Like, oh. It's, it's so inconsistent. So... Like, that book that you were talking about should be called How One Nipple Changed America. Exactly. One nipple can change the world. There you go, you know? It's, uh... You know? Uh, never ne- never give up on your dreams because, you know, like, even even a feeble nipple that's as big as about, you know, a penny can, uh... can result in $550,000 of fines. Yeah, wow. Pseudo-McCarthyism. Nice. Yeah, you know? That's, that's the kind of change that I want to see in the world. Um, all right. Well, I no. As we move towards the end of the podcast, yeah. Why don't we uh, talk about the songs we've selected for this playlist? Right. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So how it's going to work? Ten tracks every single week. I pick five. Connor picks five. We're going to mix it up. It definitely seems like it's going to be a weird playlist. All right. So we're going to talk about the five tracks that I've selected. Connor's going to talk about his five tracks. Actually, let's go one for one. Um, so, first track I'm going to talk about, I've already mentioned it once, it's going to be track one of this playlist, and honestly, once you hear it, you're not going to be able to get to the other nine, because this track is so tasty, so delicious, um, I've literally been listening to it on repeat. It's Wolfpack Dean Town. Literally, like, honestly, check out the video of how this thing is recorded. It's one guy on bass who plays, like, this mad melody, um, then the guitar joins in and keyboards, it just sounds like a bass solo, then the guitar and keyboards join in on the same line. So, you know, it's all rehearsable, worked it out. The drummers, so there's two drummers, right? One guy playing bass drum and snare with literally right hand on the bass drum, left hand on the snare. And the guy plays, another guy just playing hi-hat. Like his literal whole job is to play hi-hat and then occasionally plays a light for like this bell sound. Um, Literally mad sound, love it. Keeps me upbeat. And when I heard it, my jaw was literally on the floor. Like incredible stuff. Um, Okay, your first tune. My first tune. Uh, my first tune is a uh, a pop song. It's by Beck off his recent album. Yeah, cool. Uh, you know, Beck is a very eccentric kind of like all over the place. It's kind a of more guy. poppy album. It's really poppy. It is the poppiest album that Beck has ever done. Really? Yeah. Oh, so he stopped all his like weird. Well, that's the thing. I think it's kind of like it does have eccentricity to it, and it is a very Beck kind of undertaking. Yeah. But it is like hyper pop. You know, it is very much like. Is Beck British? Uh, no, Beck's American. American, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, he would be one guy I would just love to chat to. I would love to chat to. He seems like his mind must be like, I don't know, he was in, the, he was in Futurama for a while. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. He was <laughs> a character of the himself. He was a head in the jar, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. But um, the song Bain that I picked is, is called Square One. It's, yeah. um, it's a album track, so it's yeah. not a single or anything. But it's just like a really tight pop song. It's just like it is... It has a really like... It has a really nice hook. Yeah. It, you know, it, there doesn't seem to be a misstep in the entire thing. Like, the only problem with it, maybe, is that some people would think that it's too sanitized. Yeah. Which is that it is too tight. It is, yeah. like, too much of a really, really it condensed sound, operation. Yeah. When you were showing me, uh, the bits I've heard is, like, it does sound very, like, clean. It is. It sounds produced, like, really clean cut, like, pop. Yeah. Exactly. It but is. it's not uh, on, like, the pop charts or it's, anything, is it's, it? it? No, it's, well, it's nothing like, um, it's something like The Information, which is maybe a bit poppier of his stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely not Sea Change, and it's definitely not Morning Phase. Sea Change is such a good album. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like, and I, and I love a lot of his output. I think all of those albums that I mentioned just now are fantastic, and that's why I think I rushed to try out this Beck album. Yeah, cool. But yeah, no, I mean, I like pop music a lot. I like yeah. hyper-pop music, you know, I'm a Charlie yeah. XCX fan. So, Square yeah, One, XCX, yeah, Square One by Beck is going on the playlist, and... I yeah, I really enjoy it coming Sweet. from those two places. Um, second track for me, uh, Rex Orange County out of London. Connor actually got me onto this guy. Um, his track Best Friend. Uh, it's a bit old, but man, that that tune is so good. It's uh, really well structured. I think goes so many places. Um, just big at the end. He's got a great band set up. Mm. And I honestly don't know how he writes stuff like that, how he like arranges it all, because it's nuts. But yeah. man, really good voice, really nice guitar playing, um, very London-y kind of sound. Yeah. You can really tell he's London. And just a quick plug, when you said good structure, I think, do you know Sunflower as yeah. well? His song? Like how it has that intro and then it like bursts into a really like... It goes away from... It sounds like it's playing through a radio or through yeah. a speaker and then it goes into like a really clean, refined, you know produce sound yeah and I think he does write songs with really crazy structures to them or really strange like it'll have like a prelude before the actual song that yeah. is in itself a song which I really like that's cool yeah I think it's a yeah it's a good pick I definitely approve what's your second track my second track is uh, by a band I mentioned earlier uh, Injury Reserve off, Ooh, their, nice. off their record live at the dentist office yeah. 45 yeah. featuring Demi Hughes it's yeah. um it's a good song. It's like, I mean, I think Injury Reserve are best known for their second album, yep. which came out last year, and mm-hmm. it's called Floss, yep. um, which was kind of a bit more produced and a bit more like really hard-hitting and aggressive. Um, but this album is very, um, very much, it, it's not aggressive in the slightest. It's yep. very jazz rap. Songs often go, like at once one track will take you through two or three different moods. Yep. So kind of a bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I think this is just a great song. It has a very, um, along with a lot of the songs of the album, it has a very like singable chorus. It's very catchy. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a great rap song. And out of Arizona as well, you know, like I don't think there are many rap groups coming out of Phoenix yep. at all. So Injury yeah, Reserve cool. really come out of nowhere and they're killing it. That's sweet. Um, the third song that I want to talk about is this cover that's come out by Gary Clark Jr. Mm. Apparently it's going to be on the Justice League soundtrack. That's where I've heard about it. Gary Clark Jr. does a cover of Come Together. That is one of the hugest sounding songs. It's just the hugest tune I have heard in a long time. Gotta say, it'd have to be huge to be on that soundtrack. Dude, it's huge. Like, you can just tell. It's like... I mean, typical thing with those DC comic movies Mm. is that the soundtracks are always insane. The movies are really dog shit, right? Yeah. So Justice League, you know it's going to be a really shitty movie. But man, this cover of Come Together is gigantic. Like, oh, wow. It's just Gary Clark Jr. freaking just killing it. Like, 
when I first heard it, I was like, it blew my mind. Is it now your favourite version of Come Together? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice. definitely, okay. like, you know, that song, by, like, the original recording by the Beatles is like, I know, my dad's always really liked the song. We always play it at gigs and stuff. It's like such a coverable song. But, you know, he's just gone away from the traditional cover thing, turned it into his, like, big, heavy guitar, like, rock sound. That's sick. And it does sound very produced, but, like, it's just that clean... It sounds like big budget. You know when you just yeah. hear a song that's like, this is big budget? It sounds like someone's really thrown a lot yeah. at it, you know? They're and that's really what like- they do with those DC movies. Like, they're so shitty, but, man, they spend so much money on them. Yeah, and, and you feel the money. Yeah, you, you feel You always money. feel it. You look at it, and you're like... Even if it is, like, a train wreck, yeah. you go in, and you're like, God damn, that was, like... One really visually huge, <laughs> visually huge train wreck of a film, you know? It's like it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, honestly, I, you can't liken it to anything else. And it's, it's always like eating McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not like eating McDonald's no, but, at all. But, 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 <laughs> but the thing about it is, like, even Marvel films are kind of like, you know, they look huge. Yeah. But DC movies always look so much bigger yeah. and more dramatic and ridiculous. The trailers are always insane as yeah. well. When you watch They're the always trailer, fighting on, like, barren yeah. hellscapes. And oh, it's yeah. like, you know, it's. But this Come Together song you know yeah. is going to be in the Justice League trailer. And it's Come Together, so it's about them all coming. It's just so... It's perfect. Whoever they've got choosing the music is yeah. a fucking genius. But whoever they've got writing the movie is just dog shit. A lot, of, a lot of Zack Snyder's films have... Um, or at least... Are they all Zack Snyder? Well, have you seen Watchmen? Oh, that explains it, yeah. What? Have you seen Watchmen? Yeah. Yeah. The guy who does the music for that. Yeah. yeah, Tyler Bates, who, yeah. Did the music, who selected the music for that, is really good. He selected the music for Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow, so that two, guy... We've got two of two of the best, like, big film soundtracks in a very long time. Well, they just spend... They must just spend heaps on music. Yeah, go. exactly. And What's that Tyler... Tyler Bates. And how do you choose music for that? Do you just, like, go, yeah, exactly. oh, I'd love to listen to this song now. Yeah, but, like, you know, some of those those music choices, such as the intro to Watchmen, yeah. just, like, brilliant. Some of the some of the most memorable sequences of the entire film are tied yeah, Except that sex music. scene with Hallelujah. That sex yeah. scene with Hallelujah. Look, so the, that, that would have been better if it was Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. That would have been a good scene. Hallelujah. <laughs> it sounds like impotence. Yeah, it does. <laughs> exactly. Like, Jesus Christ. I could not be less around. Rest in peace, Lady God. <laughs> yeah. bless your soul, but, man. We love you. We love you. Yeah. So, my third song. My yeah. third song is a song called I Do brackets end credits mm-hmm. and it's from an album that I actually really enjoy um, an album that came out in December of last year and it's called uh, American Boyfriend A Suburban Love Story Yeah, it's by Kevin Abstract who is also known now for being the lead creative force behind Brockhampton um, his solo album though is probably is, is a lot more of a statement it has a real intent behind it it's about him exploring his sexuality it's about racism. It's about the way that America, the way that America indirectly persecutes him based on his identity. Mm-hmm. And I do end credits is like the is such a perfect summation of the album. It's got a really interesting West Coast sound, like a really California like groove to it. Uh, some beautiful harmonies, and it is a really big like it. As it says throughout the song, like "fuck you," I am who I am. You know, like I'm. I'm not uncomfortable about anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing me. And I love that. I mean, I think it's a very earnest song. And I think when I listen to the album, I get a vibe that is very John Hughesy in the narrative. Yeah. And as much as I think a song like that might be a bit cliche elsewhere, I think in like a very teenage coming of age album, yeah. it's an awesome closing song. You know, it is like a very, a very affirmed like, you can be you when I can be me. Yeah. And that's... That's cool. Yeah, and, and I love it. I think it's a great track. I think it's the best track on the album, even. And I recommend 
giving it a listen because if you like that track, the rest of the album is one of the most interesting, diverse. It borrows from a lot of places. The producer, um, Malay, is famous for his work on Channel Orange and Blonde nice. by, by um, Frank Ocean. Yeah. So you know that you know it's going to be good. Yeah. yeah. So that's my third song. What's that's your fourth? Cool. My fourth is. Uh, is a classic Melbourne um, upcoming Melbourne album. She's not actually too upcoming. Like I actually heard her first heard Alex Lahey um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, her sound is really cool. This Australian act. I think she's from Melbourne actually. I've heard of Alex Lahey. Um, she's, a- she's got an album that's just come out called uh, "I Love You Like a Brother." That line okay. that every guy out there hates hearing. <laughs> um, but she's got this really intense, um, like sort of punk. But, like, nice sort of kind of folky, uh, like, sound to her. She's... Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's from Melbourne. Um, she's really, really cool voice. She does a great, like, a version cover on Triple J. She does a cover of um, Torn by Natalie Brillier. Oh, yes, I've seen that. I heard that so good. You've shown that to me, actually. She's got a very, like, attitude sort of punky sound, but you know, really nice lyrics, and she's got a great voice that hums over the top. So I think a band are all guys that are just, like, sick players... Um, you know, mad solos and stuff. She's up there. She's like, she's like, you know, um, what's her name from the Cranberries? Like a, a woman leading a band full of guys. Yeah, exactly. Like punk sound, singing loud. Like, yeah, I'm honestly all about her sound right now. It's very like, yeah, it's just got a real, I suppose punk is the best vibe for it. Yeah, but, and, um, and she's I definitely really coming up. Like as much as she might be popular here, I think she's still a long way to go before she's a really established act. Yeah, she's touring all yeah. over the world though. Yeah, she's on the way up. I've heard a lot about her, so um, I, I do need to check out more of yeah. her actual stuff Absolutely. beyond that. Um, beyond that, like a, like a version, which I did really enjoy. Yeah, no, that song. Um, I love you. No, Every day's a weekend. I really dig from her from her um, her album, and that is what I'm going to be throwing on this playlist. Oh, awesome. Yeah, good call. My fourth song is a, it's a bit of a classic. Um, it's from a, quite an old album, but it's something that I've been listening to a lot recently because I think I've decided that it's actually one of my favourite songs ever, um, which is a big call. Ooh, big call. But um, it's a song called High. It's by um, it's oh, by nice. Freddie Gibbs and uh, Madlib. They did a collaborative album. Madlib, of course, best known for his work on um, Mad Villainy. Yep. which is the collaborative album between MF Doom and Madlib. He's also known as Quasimodo. That's his rap name, where he raps with a high-pitched vocal. Um, but yeah, he's like the album that he did, Piñata, with Freddie Gibbs, yep. is in its in its own right a masterpiece. He's a, one of the best producers working easily. He's potentially one of the best producers ever. Yeah. Um, and High is just a... It's cla- like the beat sample is so classic Madlib. You know, it's, it's a very like... It's, it's very simple, but it's very enthralling. And Freddie Gibbs is a very gruff gangster, like a very gruff, self-aware gangster. A gangster yeah. for the 21st century. A gangster for post-808s, you know. He's a gangster who's self-aware enough to be able to talk about being a gangster with some level of insight. Yeah. Which is more than you can say for gangsters in the 90s and stuff. Really? And who's that guy, by the way, you were telling me about who... Where it was, it's like one of the worst rap songs ever. And the guy murdered somebody and then was on the run and created oh, a rap song. Tay K. Tay K has been arrested as of the recording of this. And if he actually did kill two people, then I hope he goes away forever. Because I have no, oh, I, I, yeah. I have no time for that, man. Like, don't get me started on Tay K. Don't get me started on XXXTentacion. Because yeah. I, am, I am not down with that shit. Being a gangster doesn't mean that you beat women and kill people <laughs> because that is not what this is about. That is not what this music is about. Yeah, that's so. Um, yeah. That is so bizarre. Like, yes. honestly, and that song I heard. 
was honestly one of the worst songs I have. I have actually not listened to it. Yeah. But out of but out of complete like out of objection. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't listen to Triple X uh, XXX Tentacion, yeah. which is such an annoying name to say. Yeah. I I have do not listen to him out of. I mean, like I've heard unfavorable reviews about his album. Yeah. I've heard things that are good, yeah. but I'm just not going to find out for myself because, yeah, like, okay. fuck that guy. But yeah, no, hi. honestly, his his rhymes were some of the worst. Oh, but yeah, hi, yeah, yes, good song. Hi, hi, and it features Danny Brown. Danny Brown yeah. is an artist who I never really understood until I heard a bunch of his features. I heard this. I heard um, his work on Run the Jewels Three. Yeah. And yeah, I, since then I have come around and I realised that Atrocity Exhibition is one of the best albums of last year. When at the time that I first heard it, I found it to be inaccessible and very nice. eccentric. It's yeah, it is a great album, and honestly, it's both of them at their best. It is yeah, a great cool. song, and whether I am getting high or whether I'm not getting high, I'm I just love listening to the song. <laughs> high, you know, it is just a very great, carefree high. The highs and lows. Exactly, yeah. Just listen to the song regardless of your position on marijuana. It is great. My final song um, is a song that I have been obsessed with for a while. Um, this guy actually passed away very recently, Charles Bradley. Yeah, and I uh, really have. I really like. First time I heard Charles Bradley was about four years ago. I heard his cover of "Stay Away," a Nirvana song, and I remember thinking, "Wow, this song is from like the '70s." I didn't realize Kurt Cobain did a cover. And then I looked into it. I was like, "Holy crap! No, this guy recorded this in 2013. Like that album sound was so authentic." Mm. The story of Charles Bradley is one of the most heartbreaking but like interesting stories out there. I swear it's going to be a movie. Like you heard it here first, folks. Started off, you know. Um, like ditched by his dad, uh, lived single mum. Mum kicks him out of the house when he's like sixteen. He like works his way across America and up through Canada, just like a dishwasher and a chef, whatever. Um, then eventually, after a while, <laughs> like I'm reading his Wikipedia page, it just says after a while his mum asked him to come back and live with her. So he did. He goes back to New York. He's living out of there. Gets a job as a James Brown impersonator. Because mm. everyone always compares him to James Brown. And it's because he was literally a James Brown impersonator. Like, was a huge fan of him. Was always in, like, cover bands. Didn't produce his first, like, solo work until much later in life. He was, life. like, 60-something, Yeah, 60. Yeah. Um, so incredible. And his voice is just so... There's just so much soul and emotion in it. Anyway, so this song, uh, Changes, which is going to be on the playlist, is... Um, one of the like it's a cover of like a uh, Black Sabbath song and you know the Black Sabbath song I'm going through change oh shit yeah so yeah uh-huh. wait is that too loud that's way too loud um, oh really well that's be like in people's ears ah! yeah. okay, okay. You, you'll have to get the little volume bar and like drag it down oh, well and then okay. drag it back up again okay okay well anyway alright yeah. let's start again um, anyway so this song so this song changes is like a uh, Black Sabbath Cover. I didn't know it was a cover. Well, the Black Sabbath song is really shit. It's, I mean, it's like, it's Black Sabbath. Like, I kind of like a few of them. Actually, I don't really like a lot of Black Sabbath. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's, it's just on our niche. I kind of like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't really like them. Like, I've heard a few songs, I kind of dig, but no. Nah. This song changes, Charles Bradley totally reinvents it. It's that old school 70s, just killing style of, um, of vocals and just arrangement. Beautiful, beautiful song. So yeah, that's going to be my last one. i got to say, i got to say that I actually was very late to this. And I didn't hear this song until I started watching Big, Big Little Mouth. Eyes. Big Mouth. Oh, Big Mouth. Oh yeah, because it's yes. the opening track. Big, the opening theme to Big Mouth. Yeah, that's so weird. That shows really weird. I really like that. I'm, yeah. a big, I'm a big John Mulaney fan. So. I, chewed us, I chewed us some teenagers and I was telling yeah. them to watch it today. Yeah. And I was like, wow, is that really weird? 
Yeah, is that weird that I'm recommending the show to kids? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Big Mouth is a show about like these teenagers that like... It's about going through puberty, isn't it's it? It's about going through puberty. And a guy who's like haunted by his sexual arousal. Or well, effectively like the hormone monster. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, well, when, when jack off all the time. Yeah, uh, uh, when, when they come to the point of getting into puberty, instead of it just being a thing that happens, they are effectively like followed around by a hormone monster yeah. who is just like an irresponsible adult who tells him to do shit. And I think it's hilarious. I mean, it's Nick Kroll and it's John Mulaney. Yeah. And I, I love both their stuff. But yeah, Changes is the opening theme. I really love the opening theme. And I only actually realised it was Charles Bradley um, after I'd watched a few episodes. Of yeah. course, he had died about a week or two before yeah. I'd started watching. So, you know, it was kind of... Um, it was a very bittersweet uh, like introduction to yeah. Charles Bradley. But that brings me to my final song. Which is uh, by a rap collective, yeah, um, called Pro Era, yeah, uh, Progressive Era, um, which are a group that a lot of you will know are out of the Beast Coast, uh, so out of you know New York, Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn actually is is where Pro Era is from, and their um, more famous members include Joey Badass, yeah, uh, Capital Steez, may he rest in peace, um, who committed suicide a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, Capital Steez was, was a massive loss. Um, but this song actually has a very interesting like person at the centre of it. Yeah. It's produced by Static Selector, who is a great producer. Um, and the person who takes the lead in this, or the first verse at least, is a rapper called Chuck Strangers. Yeah. And Chuck Strangers is a part, of, um, a part of Pro Era. He's a beat producer, so he usually produces beats for them. Yeah. He raps on a couple of songs, and I really enjoy all of his appearances. They're always really funny, yeah. and the lyrics are always really like self-referential, yeah. and I, I, I love hearing him rap. And up until about a month and a half ago, he had never released a single. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and, I, and I've been waiting. I've been waiting for about a year to hear something about Chuck Strangers releasing an album. Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, he's finally doing it. I mean, I, I didn't actually like the single that much, but I hold out hope because when I listen to a song like F a Rap Critic, which is a really good song, and I hear his verse, I'm like, this is hilarious. I'm, I'm having so much fun listening to this guy. Yeah. Like, I only hope that his upcoming career can be as good as the verses he's contributed to this and to Joey Badass's tapes and to other pro-era um, output. Like, he's a great talent, and I reckon you should look at the playlist and check him and the rest of these great artists out. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, I think, I think that really concludes our... That's probably it. Yeah, so that is it for episode one. That's um, it for episode one. We thank are... you for making it this far. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed episode one of One for One Presents Old Mansion.